Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia. I am a digital content creator based in Vancouver, Canada. I am also a stripper. I am dancing all week and I am literally like running on a couple hours of sleep because I worked last night. Yay, Uh, but also really grateful to be working right now. So that, um, I was also a former sugar baby many, many moons ago. And I run this podcast because I really want to help destigmatize the sex industry. And I think the best way to do that is to really share the lived experiences of sex workers and stories to kind of paint a realistic picture of what like what our life really entails and not like crap that you hear on TV. So that's just a little bit about me. Obviously, this podcast and this episode is not about me. I really want to be able to give today's guest a platform to share their story because what they're going to be telling us today is extremely vulnerable and so courageous and so brave. And I just want to give a big, 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 big trigger warning before we get started and before uh, our guest officially pops on to the mic. Um, I want to say that we'll be discussing um, the big topic of human trafficking today. So trigger warning on that. It's a huge topic. The whole episode will be like that. And if this is a trigger for you, feel free to skip this episode. I won't get offended. Um, I just want, I'm looking out for, for those who are, who are listening. So if this is not for you, um, please skip starting now. So I am bringing on today's guest who I connected with very recently on Twitter. I, uh, last week's episode, we were talking about privilege and sex work, what that means. And this person shared their story with me and told me a couple things on on their story, how they were trafficked at 16 um, as a young teen. And I was like, oh my gosh, this deserves its own episode. And it was like, we were, we were like messaging back and forth for quite a long time. So many messages, so many paragraphs. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you need to come into the show. So I'm finally bringing on Brandy Wood onto the show today. Brandy is a full service sex worker based out of Buffalo, New York, who's currently on hiatus right now. And I'm very, very, very happy and honored to share her story today. And she is patiently waiting on the other side of the mic, nice and quiet. Brandy, are you there? I am. How are you? Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. So happy to have you on and thank you so much uh, for calling in today. It's eight o'clock my time and on the West Coast here. It's almost lunchtime over there. So I'm going to just try to be really wary of of your time today. So thank you again so much for coming on today to speak with me. My pleasure. Thank you so much. This is a huge episode and I had put a tweet out to see, okay, what questions do we have here? And there was an overwhelming response that came in. There's lots and lots of questions that came from Twitter, lots and lots of questions that came from Instagram. So I really want to, I've basically shaped the episode with all of the questions that everyone has submitted here. Uh, Thank you everyone on Twitter and and Instagram for submitting all these thoughtful, thoughtful questions today. We're going to get through it all. But Brandy, before we get started, um, would you like to... Tell the audience who you are and, and what it is that you do. Who are you? Who is Brandy Wood? That's a big question, but I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out. But I'm 37 now. Um, I just got back into independent sex work in 2017, so almost five years. Um, I've 
started when I was very young. I worked in a massage parlor from 16 until 21. And then I worked in a county hospital in between. Mm-hmm. I got sick and went back to sex work. And I realized, you know, as stigmatized as sex work is, mm-hmm. I've met so many amazing people, amazing sex workers, amazing clientele that you never would have crossed paths with otherwise. You know, yes. we've all had some crappy situations, but the benefits have outweighed the pros, even though my story isn't really the best story where I am now. I'm happy to say I'm happy I'm here from yeah. getting involved with what I'm involved with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean... Did you want to get started with your story in terms of like yeah. how you were trafficked? And I just want to it's allow not, you to take the floor there. That's, yeah, it's like not really like a big, the actual, the actual happening of the story isn't really a big thing. Mm-hmm. So get it out of the way and yeah. talk about it afterwards. Cause, yeah. I mean, basically it was like my cousin was working at a massage parlor. Her older sister got her the job there. Her mm-hmm. older sister was working, my other older cousin, but I was closer with the younger cousin. Mm-hmm. And then the older cousin got me the job there and was, was like making money off me working there for years. They didn't know. Oh, I was asked okay. to say like it was my choice, but I was 16. Right. Well, right. you know, it was like money, of course, mm-hmm. but I was didn't realize that I was being, you know, exploited in any way. Absolutely. Anyway, no, totally. And like, again, like we have so many questions here, which will really, really shape the episode. Um, but I mean, when you're when you're 16, more, you don't have that choice. It happens, lot, it happens a lot more, I think, you know, on a smaller scale, like my story with a friend or with a family member and you don't realize it and then you're it's so it's such your normal that you don't like get kidnapped and sold on a stage like they tell mm-hmm. about in stories or something yeah you know? like, totally. and that's what everybody thinks of when they hear of it no absolutely i think, I think a lot of people have to, like to this day my own family will be like you didn't get trafficked you did that on your own you know stuff like that and right. it's like okay that's Whatever like to totally gaslighting because as you mentioned, like, you know, people have this stereotypical view. As you mentioned, like people are getting kidnapped and like thrown on the back of a truck or like, you know, kids in like Southeast Asia getting kidnapped or like Eastern Europeans. Like those are all really, really, really stereotypical pictures of what we think trafficking looks like. But I think people forget that this happens like right in our backyard and it's, it's pretty prevalent in North America. So um, Brandy's calling in from the United States. Uh, I'm here based in Canada. And we do have a lot of human trafficking cases here. But unfortunately, we don't really get to hear about them too much. So a question, like, I guess to kind of kick everything off is what can human trafficking look like? You know, it's so funny. It can just look like an everyday Anything. I call it the family business. Like, my whole family, my sisters are strippers. Mm-hmm. My cousins work in the parlor. Everybody, like, I didn't... It, it could be anything. It could look like any normal family situation. You, There's really no way to look if you think something seems strange or why does this person all of a sudden have money? That would be, you know, I, mm-hmm. I had nothing. I came from a very poor neighborhood, single family, mm-hmm. or single parent family home, you know, and all of a sudden I was like 16 years old. I was like, I'll pay for that. I have a car. I have this, I have, you know. Yeah. Nobody questioned. Nobody. And my mother knew about it, but oh. didn't really like, like, she knew about it, but she still won't talk about it. We, we don't have a relationship now. Mm. Um, but it's, I wouldn't even know, you know, I recently heard over here that there was a big sting, too. We don't oh. hear about it a lot here, but yeah. I've been arrested by, as a full-service sex worker, not when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And they always slapped trafficking on. I know you didn't want to get into that yet, but, oh, you know. We'll get into it eventually. <laughs> but, 
you know, they, it's, it's, they will literally, like, cherry-pick ads and say, oh, well, we thought you were being trafficked. They followed me around for two years until they caught me, and he told me, they're like, we've wasted so much money on you, the guy himself told me, because what? we wanted to find you and talk to you. And I was like, well, now that you know me, will you leave me alone? And he basically yeah. said yes, but I guess that's what they do. They just pick and look to arrest and everything like that. So I don't even know how you would be able to intervene before you get to that no, point totally. where it's too late. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Well, well, we'll chat about that, too, in terms of, like, what if, if interventions are even possible. Because as you mentioned, like, this is, so is masks. Yeah, and that, too. I was like, when I saw the question come in, I was like, oh, this can be, like, really, really, really risky. But um, we'll get more into that um, later on in the show. But, um, yeah, I guess this person, in terms of, like, what can trafficking look like and stuff, I mean, there, there's so many different forms. Like, it, it can really just... Like, a, a big part of it, I would say, is, like, largely motivated by, like, financial gain, right? Totally. Yeah. Did you want to speak a little bit about that? I mean, yeah. I don't know how to really... I, it wasn't even, like, I was in... I had my basic needs, but, mm-hmm. you know, when you're getting older and you want everything and, every, and you want all the coolest stuff, I cut myself in high school, even though I didn't live at home, and I didn't. I went to high school while I was working, and I did all that. And I just wanted to keep up with having everything. Yeah. And not like any hungry every day. And so well, it was yeah. all financial. Like, and I didn't have a parental structure. Not that I would probably have listened to them say, this is wrong, don't do this. I don't mm-hmm. know if I would have taken it that way. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of, you know, knowing your kids, talking to your kids, and then the financial thing on top of that. Everybody, it's a, you know, it's survival. It was survival sex work back then. And even now, there's times where. I can still be a survival sex worker. I'm still working to pay my bills. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's, I feel like in the, in this pandemic too, I've seen so many people. Yeah. So, Oh, 100%. Yeah. We, we've had like a whole like mini series on, on how different sex workers were kind of coping, especially like last year when it was really like we were deep, deep in the thick of it of like how other sex workers were, trying to survive and they've had to pivot or you know get into online work when like they were all in person so like it's it's we, we've seen the shift we've seen a shift and some people you know have not gone back to in-person stuff so right which is well which is another topic but go, we're going to go back to you <laughs> i love tangents here I, <laughs> i'm very guilty of doing that but <laughs> it's all good but i'm we, somebody was asking, and I'm sorry if I'm not calling out everyone's specific handles. There was just an overwhelming amount of, of questions, and a lot of them um, were, were phrased similarly. So some listeners were curious about, like, you know, what are the signs, if, if there are any, if, if someone's being trafficked? Like, are there signs? Is there, is there any telltale indicators that we can watch for? I don't think that there's really anything specific that you would think of that we don't already know that would be stereotypical. Mm-hmm. Somebody not speaking up if they're with somebody or acting like, you know, like say you're with a, your handler or their handler. I was very fortunate. I worked with, a, I had like a madam who was a wonderful woman. Like the situation, for a bad situation, was a great situation. Mm-hmm. But I don't it's so individual. I don't know how you would even be able to tell it's with the handler how they act how the person copes themselves sometimes they wouldn't even act any different at all there's ask that's all i can say talk to people talk and try to gain people's trust if you're worried about it 
What about in your specific experience? Like, I'd love to hear more about, like, your situation because we can definitely speak to that. Like, we can't speak for anyone else's unique situations because everything's, like, on a case-by-case basis. But, like, feel free to divulge in any details um, with with your story. We'd love to hear that. Well, like, do you mean as of science or just how it happened or what are we talking about now? Both. Yeah, both. (laughs) (laughs) Go into it. Go on, girl. (laughs) Well, yeah, like I was saying, you know, I, I I was about 16 turning 17 when I started. My older cousin, who was like a sister to me, I, I ended up moving in with her when I moved out of my mother's house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she started working there. She was making money. I started, she's like, I got this great place you can work. You make a lot of money, blah, blah. It's so, like, it was only, it was just like a massage parlor. Yeah. Still standing today. It's oh. in a old, like, duplex house. I drive by it all the time. Yeah. Um, my old woman, may she rest in peace, Susan Chung. She was great. She took care of us, but, you know, and I feel, I and like, I didn't even realize the, like, how big such a small decision I made that day was, you know? Yeah. Like, I had the choice. I mean, I wasn't forced or dragged in, but I made the choice to go. But, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very open. I've always been a very open person, so I'm like, hey, random friend, I have this job. You want to come get, make some money? Hey, other random friend, I got this place where we can work. Like, I've gone back and apologized to everybody. I was like, if I ever, you know, felt like I pressured you to get into this, mm-hmm. they were like, no, no, you know, I did that. This is all when we were over 18, too. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, one of my very best friends, and I'm so grateful for this, She, I got her into the business, and mm-hmm. she ended up having a daughter who has special needs, and she's nonverbal autistic and it helped she's been able to do dom work and helped her stay home yeah and take care of her daughter so you know Amazing. like it when i realized to go back when i realized i don't even know what made i don't even know how it hit me that i was that i was trafficked i think it was i was just in a random conversation with my cousin when she was talking about all the money i used to make her and she used to refer to that and then i finally oh. like asked yeah and then i was like oh my god did i make somebody feel this way by bringing them in you know, I felt like I was, you know, how I felt. And then I, yeah. I asked everybody that worked with me, and everybody was like, no, you know, nobody stayed, stuck it out. Nobody, except for the one that I just talked about, has stayed into the business. And I'm sure a couple of them were like, you know, it's not for everybody. No. But no. Ugh, I don't I don't even know. I don't even know where I was going with that. No, that's okay. <laughs> like, I, I was, like, really curious, because you were quite young when this happened. You were 16. Like, of course, yeah, you chose to go there, but... You did not like when you're at, when you're that young. Like you don't really know what's happening. Like right. you just think like, ooh, an opportunity to make money. Like when I was like when I was like fifteen, fourteen. Like that's when I started working like at a bakery. I was like, oh my gosh, like I get to make my own money. I get to buy my own things. Like that's what right. you you think of, and this it's the excitement. But like, I don't think you are really aware or attuned at that age to know what kind of work you're going into. And you're going into adult work. Right. You don't, really, you don't really know it can affect your whole life for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. like, like, and the way that your cousin phrased it, it's just like, Oh, like I have this really cool opportunity to make money. Like it, it just, it's so casual in yeah. that sense. Like how, how could you have known? So when I came back um, independent mm-hmm. and I chose Randy Wood as my name, I got that name from our most popular girl there was Brandy. Mm. So it was like a joke. I was asking, I was like, what am I going to name myself? You know, you go through that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's funny because it's like, I didn't talk about it after when I went into city work for 10 years, I closed that chapter in my life, didn't talk about it, denied it, didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Mm. And then I'm like, why? Why? What? What am I hiding? What? I'm alive. I'm fine. And I'm here today. So why am I? You know, you're always gonna have people that are like, oh, you did this, you did that. I still do. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't hide anything else. Why am I hiding this part of my life that was so big? Because I still go, I still talk to all the people that work there besides the madam that passed. I had made some really great friendships and I really did have some good experiences. And I really didn't feel unsafe in the building or anything like that. It was just a bunch of girls and an older Asian lady. So it's not like we had security, but. Yeah. I, I'm really curious. Like, were the working conditions like completely normal? Like you mentioned, you, you didn't feel unsafe at all. Like, tell us about that. Like the normalization of it all. I'll even um, when I hang up with you on here, I'm gonna send you a picture of the. I even have a picture of the building because it's still up. Oh, it's yeah. a regular house. It used to be a bar. So downstairs, um, she had like a hot tub, but nobody ever really used it downstairs. And you'd mm-hmm. go up the side door, and it was just like a regular apartment. We'd all hang out in the living room. She made me play rummy with her twenty four seven. Was all the cards. I don't know why she played with all the cards. I always remember that about her. And there were just like two rooms in the back, but it was kind of basically like you would think. The client would walk in, and we'd sit there like cattle, and they'd pick who they want to see. Okay. And then we'd go in the back with them. And they still have places like that in Buffalo, but yeah, a lot of them are only staffed by Asian women now. I don't, right. I have not heard of any that have American people anymore. They're, like mm-hmm. back 20 years ago when I started, there were a lot more. Interesting. And that's like, that like kind of caters to like that stereotypical view too. When you, when you think of massage parlor, massage parlors, you usually think of... Asian women. Right. You know, and that's like a whole other topic too. I mean, she looked, she was such a wonderful woman. She looked like Mrs. Swan from Mad TV. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like a leather vest. Mm -hmm. I could still hear her voice when she would answer the phone and talk to people. She was the greatest woman, but I mean, I think she would kick some ass. So I think we were protected a little bit, but she would have (laughs) a couple people come in that were her friends that you could tell had been in business for a while, but mostly I'm sure you probably had an, or, or probably an episode about this, but mm-hmm. it was all like young, young girls or yes. girls that are established. Yes. You know, it's always like people want new faces, new faces, new faces, new faces, young faces, so you can push boundaries, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, that's another story too. <laughs> I'm curious to hear about like when your cousin was like telling you about this amazing job or this amazing opportunity to make money, like, did she ever tell you what kind of job it was? Like, I really love to hear if you can recall like your first client, what was going through your head? Like, were you nervous at all? Did you know what you were doing? Did you know that this was? Yeah. Like, I have a good one separate. for you. I remember. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, she, it, it was such a casual story. She was like, you know, she told me what they were doing. It was basically like happy ending massages. And I kind of thought it over for, a second saw the money and was like I'm down let's go let's do this you know mm-hmm. but I remember there was one time we had police come in because they were oh. like they were trying to shut down all the places yeah and reason Kim we called her Kim Susan she picked me and she was like you look really innocent you go and you know just rub this couldn't say massage because it wasn't technically a massage but yeah. rub this guy, blah, blah. and I'm talking to the guy and he got like um he had a scar from being shot in the back and he said he was a businessman and I'm just like trying to talk with they, they kept trying to like goad you to do more and you know oh. and I remember they picked me in this other girl I was terrified I probably had to be only like I think I was 17 because I did lie and say I was a year older even yeah. though it didn't matter because I was still underage I yeah still underage I was going to say <laughs> like, <laughs> no idea why but um yeah like I don't really necessarily remember my first but mm-hmm. I do remember it becoming just like commonplace i didn't do full service there mm-hmm. there were some extra some times and 
Kim tried to tell us not to do full service there. I don't know if that was her just saying that because she wanted to say that. She mm. had to say that or if other girls, but I'm sure they did. But yeah. I was, you know, I think she was trying to protect us. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, it was, it, it just like got to the point where it was all the same. It was like you would just, I didn't, I think I blocked it out of what was going on. So I was so young, I didn't even know. I mean, I had a boyfriend yeah. at the time for four years. So it's not like I was really knew what I was doing. Totally. To the extent of what I was doing it. Absolutely. Like you don't know the extent of what, what, what you're doing, what type this work, what type of work this is, and what right. that entails. Like, did your boyfriend at the time know what type of work you were into? Yeah. No, but he found out, oh. and we did end up breaking up. He's still a good friend of mine, and I apologized to him a million times about it. And he's like, "Could have just told me. You could have just told me." Great man, but I was like, you know, how could I have told you when I couldn't wrap my head around it myself? You know, it wasn't exactly. that I was hiding it from him. I was just like. I could totally keep this separate from my real life and somehow still function, which, you know, you can never do that with anything. No, no. And that's, like, where the exploitation kind of comes from, though, too, because, like, you know, when when people are recruiting these young girls, like, they don't know what they're getting themselves into. Right. Yeah. Like, it could be the rest of your life. You know, they have no idea. And it's, like, affected my whole family. Mm -hmm. I don't talk to my family. Like, when I got arrested here, Go into that really quick. Sure, um, yeah. That's what we were going to talk about in the other episode was, like, this guy, I have no idea why. I actually called him out recently. I grew up with him. Never have I had, like, an issue with him. I probably hung out with him five times. He posted my mugshot and my charges on my personal Facebook. Right, yes. Okay, that, yeah. Me. This is how we got connected with this doxing story. Yeah. Yes. So, there's my, I make you take down your hair. I look insane. And then it says, there's my name, Yvonne, prostitution. And he's like... Really, Bon? What the fuck? And I'm like, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Sorry. No, of course. Um, and so swear away. <laughs> my friend Mike is in the car, and he's like, um, because the police take my phone. They took my phone every time for trafficking investigations. Mm-hmm. He's right. like, I need uh, your Facebook password. And I was like, why? And he's like, some people are just not being so nice. And I was like, what? My poor born-again aunt in Florida had to find out that way. You know, <sighs> she doesn't oh talk to me anymore. So, I, you know, after talking to you about it, I never confronted anybody, and everybody found out. Like, I worked at the county hospital. Yeah. I went to the jail. One of the old hospital police was sheriff. He sent my mugshot to the hospital. So when I got out, oh my God. Not, only guy, not only did that guy dox me, the sheriff guy told everybody I used to work with in the ER. So when I got out, like, three people asked if I was okay, and everybody else just told me about myself, how they heard, what oh they thought God. of me, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like... I withdrew and I hid from everybody. I didn't acknowledge anybody because I was like, uh-uh. I don't know what I'm going to say to who, to what, to where, which I'm glad I did that because now I've been able to go and pick the right people, you know? Yeah, I'm you, so you, sorry to You don't that. need everybody to accept it, just the right people. No. Like, but, why the fuck would these people do that? Like, and why would the sheriff do that? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, I know. It's just like, it's drama. People love to hear drama or it didn't match with what I was projecting, you know, when mm. I was saying earlier how... Yeah. I mean, I worked in the middle of an inner city ER. I knew cops. I knew everybody. I was going to nursing school. I was doing all everything in, like... Like, everybody just knew who I was, so it wasn't, it didn't match up to what I was putting out there. Mm-hmm. And nobody can reconcile that it, I'm still the same person. I always was the same yeah. person. I did it before you knew me. I did it after you knew me. And I'm still probably going to do it for as long as I can, you know? Yeah. But nobody, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why, it, like, it seems like sex work is so hard to swallow for everybody. I understand oh, why, yeah. but it seems like still, even with this terrible, you know, Swerfs that we have. Yes. It's so weird. Like, it's such a weird hill to die on to me. It's, yeah, but, that's like another 
That's yeah. <laughs> another topic too. <laughs> but we, we do discuss that on the podcast too. But yeah, like um, steering back to where we were earlier, um, a lot of people are kind of like, I guess people were assuming. And again, this goes back to that stereotypical view of what we think trafficking looks like. But some questions that came in, they were like, um, how did you get out of your situation? Tips on survival or what was your key to survival? Because I know you mentioned you were working in the massage parlor for five years, was it? So from 16 to 21. Yeah. Was that just in the massage parlor or like did you at that point start transitioning into full service? Um, I actually took a civil service past and I ended up getting a county job and I just left. Yeah. But then I worked there for almost 10 years and then I went back to um, sex work after that because I hated working. I was like, I'm going to last... 10 years in a civic job and that's it and I made it yeah. a I don't so blame I mean, you <laughs> I wasn't kept there I wasn't you know I could come and go as I please mm-hmm. we even had like I'm trying to think of like survival it was just like we had it was before I had um, a car of my own so we mm-hmm. had a cab driver it was before Uber so we had the same cab driver lady that would pick me up my girlfriend around the block and you know pick us all up and bring us there she'd pick us up and be dropped off at 10 right. we got picked up at 6 and, you know, she knew what was going on, but she was, like, one of the people that knew but didn't say anything but was yeah. always, like, I'm here if you need anything. Kind of, like, th- those people are what kind of kept you going because, you know, you wake up some days and you're just, like, I don't feel like being around people. And in our type of profession, you have to be around people in the most intimate way. Yes. And there's days where you don't want anybody even to look at you, much less touch you or want you to touch them or whatever the case may be. Absolutely. But having, I think it was just, like, having friends in the business and, with you like you know I forget I'm out of room I'd go play around me with Kim or something stupid mm-hmm. you know and that just like getting out of getting out of your head is how you survive but I mean I like I always say my I was fortunate in my situation some people don't have the chance to get out and leave as they please or yeah. not go to work if they don't want to that day you know so totally I can't really speak on that that's okay like I was wondering um like when was that point where you you no longer wanted to work at the massage parlor. Like, wh- what was that? That was there some kind of breaking point, or, or was you're just like I'm tired of this. I want to. I want to change, and then maybe try to try to work in a civ job. Or can you take a pension? It was my county pension. I got a ten year pension. I was like, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do forever, and I'm terrible with money. I don't know how to save it. Mm-hmm. So I said I was going to work for at least ten years to get some sort of pension. Wow. And then. I did. And yeah. I wasn't going to go to nursing school. I got three and a half semesters in, and I just realized how much it just, it's not for me. Yeah. Not a thing. I loved working care of people other than, you know, being a sex worker. And it's so funny when I say this, being like going to nursing school, working in the hospital, being a sex worker. And I was like a nanny. I was always taking care yeah. of people in some sort of way. That's a trend. Yeah. I can see that. And this is, this one, sex work is the one I'm so glad now that I'm like singing about it because that's the one that I feel actually like encapsulates me. It explains me as a whole I feel myself in the position you know what I mean like I can be me 24 7 it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. and if you want you want to talk about um trafficking court I got arrested yeah yeah no January okay so I started I was so dumb I I started on my own independent you know I had no idea what I was doing yeah July 2017 so by January I was arrested because Oh, shit. Brilliance. I stayed in the same hotel for six months. Okay. I had no idea what was going on. Didn't know. You're supposed to, like, move around and stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I got put in a human trafficking court. And the judge 
in Buffalo. Her name is Judge Martochi. She's now in the Supreme Court, but she was amazing. She started trafficking court, I think, here in Buffalo. It was started, started. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, not positive, but I think it was one of the first because her sister was an addict, and I think she has an escort, or she had some something in sex work, and oh, Judge Martokia was the kind of person who'd be like, why are you in jail? We don't want to put you in jail for this. We don't, you're not, you know. Yeah, it's, they, they try not to put the charges on us. Like, I did end up getting a B misdemeanor prostitution charge, and I'm getting it taken off my record now. Just, I don't know why they just offered to take it off, so I'm like, sweet, go ahead. Mm-hmm. If I don't care, it's a misdemeanor. I was like, whatever, just put it on there. But, um, you know, and there's the lady in the court, her name's Alicia. Shout out to Alicia, she's amazing. She hooked me up with this place called International Institute of Buffalo, and they work with refugees, traffic people. And I have a caseworker there who I still work with, even though I don't necessarily need her as bad, but I work with her, and I say I work for her because they have me now doing, like, I don't know how, like, I, they kind of have me doing, like, the peer support for people that won't reach out to them because we don't trust anybody mm-hmm. you know yeah i was telling you yesterday on the hierarchy there's i work with marissa from the international institute i work with alicia at the court and i was like alicia you know nobody's gonna call you they think you're a cop and she was laughing and i was like well it's true like you're a cop you work for the court you're a cop sorry <laughs> you know all another way to say it. <laughs> yeah yeah you know, she's like well i appreciate that because you know i'd rather you guys go to marissa because she could be confidential whereas sometimes i can't but like, and they were so excited about this um this podcast. I was telling them all about this because Yay. they're like, we want you to come work with us and do all this stuff. But I and they're and I, they're all going to start listening. They said too. So Yay. I'm excited about that. Hello, welcome. But, <laughs> I want, you know, I want, I wish this. What I want to come out of this is like, I wish that we in our community, without having to go to the courts and everything, knew of the resources that were available. Yeah. For us, like with Swap, Swap is amazing. Yeah, tell us about that. Like, that has been so wonderful. It's called um, Tex Work Aid Vegas. I know, and she's not. I think her name's Summer. I forget her last name. She's on my Twitter. She's amazing. Sure. And they were doing mutual funds over the pandemic. They were doing like Instacart gift cards, and she's not even a real um, charity or anything yet. She was just going off donations and doing uh, the kindness of her heart. And that's what I noticed is our community is the most giving, the most wonderful, and that's why I want to stay in it. Absolutely. I know I'm jumping everywhere, but no, like, that's okay. Let's let's hear it back. So, going back to like resources, like as a whole, uh, you mentioned Swab. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like what kind of resources that you know are available to you now, but you know maybe you wish you had access to before? Well, I think I mean there's so many, so so many things I couldn't even begin to tell you. Like Swab could offers, you know, I have help with. Mm-hmm. Um, people with addiction help, housing help, food, just, you know, any sort of prep or, you know, STD testing and, you know, condoms, anything like that. They were doing mutual funds over the pandemic. They Amazing. were like, they help us, they help with everything that um, swap behind bars, help me get my apartment. They offered to give like $250 towards your, um, like security or whatever. And it's $250. Why not? They're, like, they're so helpful. Yeah. My only problem with them is that there's only one in New York, and they're based on New York City, where, you know, everybody thinks New York is the city, is New York, when it's mm, the tiniest little boy yes. over here. So, <laughs> Not the rest like, of New York. Nice yeah. had one, because we have a very, very big sex work population in upstate New York. Like, okay. between here, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, even Utica, Elmira, I know girls, we're, like, we've all kind of, even despite, you know, not knowing each other or not knowing each other's faces, we know each other. We watch each other's backs. Yeah. And you probably know what it is being in the business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't even know where I was going with that again. 
Yeah, no, we're, we're talking about regionality too and like not having enough access to resources based up in outside right. of New York City, and and this is this is a theme too that's not just only in New York, but also like so many places around the world. Like I was doing research for um, the Youth Coalition for this conference that was up in Paris earlier this year at the United Nations Women. Um, but basically, when I was conducting my research, there was a lot of pushback in terms of like we aren't able like as sex workers from from around the globe that they weren't able to access resources because of where they lived right like, like that to me is is just so wild to me i i believe like resources should always be accessible whether it's in person or even just online but some of these countries like african african countries and some countries in like europe just didn't have access to that based on where they lived and right, that, to and me, like, it's so basic. Buffalo here, and me working in the inner city hospital, I never in my entire life had heard of the International Institute of Buffalo, and I mentioned it to one of my older family members. They're like, oh, yeah, I used to, you know, like in the 70s, I used to translate for them. So mm-hmm. I'm like, this place has been around forever, and I've never heard about it. Why? Yeah. And I think it goes like the stigma. You don't talk about it. Don't yeah. talk about it. Don't talk about Whether it. Like, don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. It. Totally. I can't, um, I want to say it was, I think it was like, uh, University of Chicago, somebody did an interview with me a little bit earlier this year, and she was asking that the big question she wants to ask is, how do we get information out to sex workers so you guys know? Yeah, yeah, that's another question that we said, had, too. Tell us. Tell us to tell others. Like, if we're not going to all sign up and show up somewhere. We're not going to do that. We're not going to listen to anybody. It's like word of mouth. That's all it really is. Mm. Is You have to hear about something from somebody you trust when you're in the business you to trust it yourself yeah yeah absolutely like we have had quite a bit of those questions that have come in too so some specific questions that um people on twitter had asked was like how do you provide support to workers to protect them from the risks of abuse within the industry Mm. yeah do you have any comments on that i mean i'm trying to think of like as as a whole Mm. but i don't know how you would even like I think now everything, like, that's why I was saying, even telling my story now, now is the time people are finally listening to people's stories. You know, the misogyny, hopefully will be, the tables will be tipping a little bit more now that people are really speaking out. Mm -hmm. But as far as, like, protecting and stopping and, like, hindering, I I really have no idea how you would even, you know, everything is so ingrained in society as women that we just do, we listen, we shut up and... Yeah. Even if we don't love it, we do and go and go along to get one. It doesn't matter. That, you know, we've had the people that get mad that we're owning up to it and taking it back for ourselves. At the same time, the same person would be mad if we were doing it in silence mm-hmm. and not telling anybody because then that makes us a bad person because we're not putting our lives out there. So there's really, like, it's always a case-by-case situation. Oh, absolutely. Like, you have to- well, have to literally try to look at it that way. Like, as you said, like, as women, we are so conditioned to behave in a certain way that, like, okay, we're not going to say anything here. Or we're just going to keep doing what we're told to do because, like, that's how, because of fucking patriarchy, you know, that's, yeah. that's like, how we have been groomed in society. Yeah. And it, as you mentioned, like, it's so nice to finally, and so refreshing to hear that people are finally speaking out against these atrocities that happen and this is why I bring people like you onto the show to share your own experiences, to to show how normal this this what this is. 
And it's gotten kind of funny, like, it's not, it doesn't, might sound kind of bad, but, like, I have a wonderful, wonderful husband, but, he, like, I'll be talking to him, and sometimes he'll be like, Yvonne, you don't need to get into it and tell everybody your whole sex worker life story. They don't need to know. <laughs> like, I like to sing mm-hmm. about it now, and I'm like, and I'm yeah. a fucking sex worker. And what? You know, like, yeah. before, I would be like, I don't want to talk about it now. I'm like, well, excuse me, but, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I feel so, I'm, I feel so, like, privileged, like, when we were talking about that, that, like, yeah. I can be face metal. I'm, I'm fortunate I don't have children that I have to worry about worrying about my reputation later mm-hmm. like I, I was terrified that it happened to me the way it happened to me but it lasted maybe an hour two hours and then it was just like I was in a jail cell so that was scary but I was like Super oh scary. my god the relief was like gone you know I felt like weight was lifted off my shoulders it's like I, I wish that more people were able to you know take like own it and yeah why does it matter Is that, that's what I always ask it's yeah like, you know at one point, when my picture got sent to the hospital or wherever, everybody was talking about it the first time I got arrested because I ran from that court and those people and I was a terrible person for a while. But I was like, why is my vagina so important to the city of Buffalo at this moment? You yeah, know, like, what seriously. does it matter? Why? Why You guys don't care about what I'm doing not for money, so what do you care about what I'm doing for money? But, again, uh, it's out. It's, Everything's in green. I don't, yeah. you know, that's something that's not going to be answered, I think, in our lives. I mean, we could just try to work towards totally not being as bad. Um, I know, like, I know we kind of talked about this really early on, but we didn't get into the details, but another listener was wondering, like, would sex work been an option for you if you were never trafficked before? I don't know. I I don't, I would say probably in some way mm-hmm. with me because like I tell my sisters, um, they used to be strippers when they were younger. So there was always like in, it was always in the background, but I don't know if I would have went to it like straight up independent on my own full service. Here I am. Um, right. You know, I don't, I don't even know if that would have even crossed my mind. Yeah. But like there are, there's a large amount of people and I have a lot of friends in Buffalo too, that I didn't even know were working until I was working. So oh. you, you get surprised. There's a lot more than you even know about. Yeah, for sure. Like is, is there, I wonder, and this is just an observation or maybe an assumption that I'm making, but like, is there any, do you find any kind of, comfort in sex work because it's already something that you are familiar with oh of course you know you always go towards the familiar and you know in full in full service we do have people that we don't want to see or we yes. don't we have our favorite clients we have our regulars yes and i've been around oh you know a couple of years so i'm fortunate enough to be kind of picky choosy mm-hmm. on who i see but you know you have to you come out green you start you learn you have to go through the bad things. And, you know, again, I've been very fortunate. I say I, I have not had a lot of knock on wood bad situations. I've had some, but, you know, not as terrible as they could have been and as terrible as I've heard. But, and, you know, I think it is, you, it's almost imperative for you to have like a sex worker friend who understands in some way, too. Like I just had a friend of mine pass a couple of weeks ago, Lily. I think I told you about that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And um, we, have, I, we have another friend out of Rochester, and she didn't know. I messaged her because I, she, I, you know, I didn't even know Lily's real name. Mm-hmm. You know, we can know so much about somebody, but of you don't course. even know their real names. Yeah. So I messaged the third party friend, and she had no idea. And now her and I got really close because she, and you know, it's like she's like she was my only sex worker friend. She was crying, and I was like, well, you know, she would want us to be friends. Like it's just to have somebody that knows what you're going through. Yeah. That that's like so necessary. Absolutely. Just somebody like. Like at any job where you can bitch about your boss or, you know, whatever yeah. you want to do. It's like, 
And that's why I think, like, our community, like, sex work in general and, like, sex work Twitter and everything, like, I think it's so great because, like, I don't know, like, before, like, sex work is, like, I mean, it still is very taboo, but as, you meant, like, as we're discussing here and how we've seen, like, on Twitter and stuff, like, there's so much support there. So much support online. So super, super grateful yeah, like to be part of this. Yeah, into any camp. I love, I love all sex work Twitter. That's like my favorite. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I love it. I'm just like, sit there and I laugh and I laugh and everybody's like, what are you laughing at? Any but like people literally will just jump in and talk and be kind. And that's why I think I don't like any negativity of any kind. I think that's most people I like to hope don't either. But like our community, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. Like I've noticed we will, I mean, other than stupid class issues that we have sometimes mm-hmm. mostly everybody is extremely helpful in any way and i think that's something that i notice as like a like a lifelong sex worker is that we're just so used to helping we want to help we want to change we yeah. want everything like we don't want people to go through the bad things that we went through no so no. if we can help somebody not or learn how to do something a better way we tend to do it totally totally i know we had mentioned this um off the air earlier by a question that came in from another listener was um do you recommend um any kind of intervention if any for those who have suspicions of someone being trafficked i thought this was a really interesting question yeah i think it would be like we said a case by case basis like i don't know if there would be a safe intervention yeah like i even tried to tell the guy that ended up outing me how if it weren't me that could have been dangerous for me or him mm-hmm. he wouldn't listen so, you yeah. know, it would just be like talking to the person. I don't I, would, I don't even know how you would notice, you know, signs unless you were alongside the community already. Like, you know, we watch shows now or you watch something and I'll be like, oh, that person's a sex worker or that person mm-hmm. killed a whole bunch of sex, you know, stuff like that. Like you would tell yeah. because you notice signs. I, you know, I've been alongside the business for 20 years. You could see it now. But I don't think you would know unless you knew unless you were there or you knew something about it beforehand like for the lay person that like you know say a teacher that well i'd say teacher probably know better like they should know to look for things but just like a regular job person that doesn't think about sex work being an option you i don't think Mm -hmm. you would know what to look for except for maybe like that withdrawn kid that stereotype but other than that i wouldn't know what else yeah i mean like i don't I don't want to relate this to like abuse situations, but like some sometimes in trafficking situations, people are abused. So I will mention it here. But like, you know, there are some like telltale signs of like, okay, like where did this person get all this money? Or if they're absent from home or if they're coming like home late or coming up, coming home at odd hours, if they're being unusually quiet, like signs like that, like can be signs, but it's a really, really fine line that like, you kind of want to tiptoe across because you don't want to make the wrong assumption, right? Right. Make signs of anything else, too, yeah. you know? Totally. But I, I was thinking about um, when I did get arrested and I went to jail, the whole lineup was you know, sex workers of some sort. A lot of them are addicts. Mm-hmm. And this girl, who I still know today, she she talked about how she like had a pimp. And she would always use like quotation marks. And I'm like, well... Explain this to me. I'm like, why? What's the point of this? Yeah. And she's like, pimps these days aren't like pimps that we know about. Pimps these days are basically like what she said, and I loved her phrasing was a dope boy with an idea. So oh. it's like a drug dealer who knows somebody needs the drugs. They see this person makes a lot of money, so they travel with the girl, supply the girl with what she needs, 
get her money, and it's not usually a volatile situation. Don't want to say always, mm-hmm. but you know, that's like they're there just to serve the girl, and the girl is doing her work, getting the money, and then the money goes back to the guy. So yeah. I, but I, like, yeah. I understand, I guess, in that sense, if you're a drug addict, because I was like, why would you be giving, like, boy, why do you need to give your money to a third party? But the way that she explained it, I was like, oh, okay, I could see that a lot. And it made more sense to me that way because I never understood it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and like speaking of pimping, we, we are going to be speaking about that next week, um, which is going to be another heavy trigger warning topic as well. So, I mean, those situations can like go from like zero to 100 because like a lot of the times like the women are being pimped out and then like all their money goes back to whoever is pimping them out. And like you'd be surprised at like, again, the normalization of it, like what can seem normal. Like it could be a boyfriend. It could be a family member. It could be someone close to you in your circle and not just again the, like what society paints uh, the image of like what a stereotypical pimp would be right but right yeah like we'll, we'll be going more detail on that next week which i'm excited to talk about as well but going back to you brandy <laughs> no no you're all good i just really want to make sure the focus is all on you and your story this week um uh, another great question i think that came in was how can sex workers be allies and to help support those who are currently trafficked or have been? And this person wrote on to say, we often share spaces, you know, physical, non-physical spaces. Or like, you know, for example, like traffickers will use the same sites to advertise on, you know, possibly use the same hotels. Like how, how can we be allies in and providing support in those situations for, for those who have been trafficked? Um, there was like a, a period of time where I was in between houses when I was living with that same cousin before I moved here. I was mm-hmm. living in a hotel and I was able to kind of spot after a while, like like maybe the people that I thought were, you know, being pimped. But I think a lot of it was more along the lines of, you know, the way that I explained it versus being, you know, trafficked as a whole. Like, you know, she probably wouldn't tell on anybody to get arrested to do it themselves. But, you know, you could kind of tell they're never, people are never alone. It's really hard yeah, to approach somebody. Yeah. And that, you know, again, it's just like watching, knowing the signs and trying to get somebody to trust you or just try to be trustable or be available for somebody mm-hmm. in that sense, which, you know, how do you even do that? It, it's case by case again. Yeah. You know, I mean, it seems like, even the, the stories you hear about people getting away from horrible, horrible situations, mm-hmm. they escaped themselves. Yeah, they yeah. did it themselves. It's not like anybody really ever gets rescued. The police don't help at all. You know, I mean, with me, I had to go into trafficking court. And, they, they you know, I, I, they had me going to court every day. I had to check in every single day. I had an 8 p.m. curfew. It was, mm-hmm. like, completely ridiculous. I'm like, I'm 33 years old. I'm not doing this. Like, no way. Yeah. So I kept... You know, I was on the run. I had warrants for two years, and they would just keep picking me up. I'd go to jail for a week, and I'd go back out for a couple months till they found me, and I did my 60 days over two years. Don't recommend zero out of ten. Nobody ever do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, like, even the court liaison, Alicia, that I was talking about, she was like, you know, we hate having to arrest you. That's, you know, that's why we were like, you needed to go to court because over me getting arrested, I lost. Mm-hmm. First, I lost everything in my house because I got arrested when I was moving. So oh, the U-Haul taken, you know, oh, so then I got God. to the point where I lost my apartment and I lost like all my family and friends. And then the last thing I lost my dog, like I had oh. my dog living in a hotel with me and that was completely, you know, completely horrible of me to do, but it was my dog, you know, and yeah. I was 
it wasn't how I started out. I feel like I was completely irresponsible at that point, but what was I going to do? And then when I went to jail, I had registered my dog to somebody who said, oh, if anything ever happens, you know, I'll get him out because yeah. I knew that I was not, you know, it was a chance. And then the person claims that I didn't even know this dog was in the pound, which was bullshit. But, what? you know, that was finally, yeah, oh, that was like the geez. final... Strong. You know, I even, yeah, even Alicia in the court was trying to get the dog out for me. I was, like, sitting in my jail cell, like, I need my dog. Like, I had other, you know, all these other inmates were trying to make calls for me and everything. Mm-hmm. But they realized, I think, like, arresting the girls are not, it's, it's not beneficial. It's good to no. get people away. And then if there is something that's horrible, terrible, you need to tell about some sort of, like, raping, abuse, something, there it gives you a safe space to do that. But mm-hmm. for one of the middle people it generally like screws you over even more because it's taking every last thing that you have. Yeah. And then you, like, I remember there were times where I would leave the jail, no phone. They take my phone. So it would just be like me and a pair of shower shoes walking down the street, you know, like yeah, they don't get every phone and they discharge you. Like, I know. I wonder how people get picked up and get into this. Like when yeah. they're getting out of jail and, uh, um, the court liaison, they used to tell me, she, like, the judge used to do trafficking court and other court things, but she would do trafficking on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. I never saw it, but they told me that, like, traffickers or pimps or whoever, they would come and they would, like, sit in the, they call them pews, I don't know what they call them, in yeah. court. And they yeah, just, like, you know, intimidate. They would stare at, like, the people, they would try to intimidate, they would pick up new girls. Oh, and I was gosh. like, really? Like, I, I mean, city court down here looks crazy, so I don't think you'd really even notice. <laughs> But, like, I was like, I can't even imagine, and it happened to me, kind of, you know, like, Mm -hmm. the fact that it's still rampant and still surprises the crap out of me around here. Like, there was, within the past couple years, um, a a bigger ring was caught over here of, like, underage girls, and I was like, wow, and the guy, I think it was a guy, I think it was a drug drug addict, drug dealer situation, but the guy was only, like, 22 himself, and he had a couple, like, 16, 17-year-old girls at a hotel on Niagara Falls Boulevard out here. And, you know, it's kind of funny because people know in Buffalo, stay away from Niagara Falls Boulevard. It's like a sketchy area. Really? Oh, my God. I was just there. I just got in. Well, not there in the States side, but I was there getting engaged like (laughs) on the Canadian side. So, oh, my God. I had no idea. Yeah, it's really nice. There's like, but there's like a little stretch of an area kind of by like the small that's not that's finally being sold made to apartments. So there's a bunch of little hotels near the airport and they're just like, don't don't work out of those hotels. The cops are crazy there, yeah. you know, and everybody knows it's just like the, the sketchier area. There is like one main street in the area. Oh, well, well, there's probably two now, I think. Yeah. Where they well, street walkers. That I didn't even know either until I was in jail. Like I didn't realize how many people were still out on the street. Yeah, there's when, still quite like, a bit of people on the street. I helped a couple of people get off because I'm like, why are you doing that when you could just sit at home on a phone on a Wi-Fi? You know, that's mm-hmm. so unsafe. I knew this girl, may she rest in peace, Tiffany. She got headbutted because she wouldn't see a guy for free, and he knocked all of her teeth out. Oh, my God. You know? She was like 24 years old. Beautiful girl. And it's like, what? I mean, and she had drug problems, so it's a, lot, a lot of those reasons are the reasons why people are out on the street, but yeah. I couldn't even, like, those girls are so brave. I can't even imagine yeah what they have to deal with and what oh my god it's like because like we'd always be in there talking and i couldn't like there's there's so many people out there still it's like everybody yeah. outside of here in buffalo go to broadway go to grant street we're doing a joke like where to broadway which is on the east side and grant street on the west side meet in buffalo and they say the holding center that's like the joke that goes on wow but, yeah like i did know, an entire episode on like well street street walking here in Canada and what that what that looked like here in the West Coast and like 
why um, this particular person, who's also on Twitter as well, shout out to Vanessa, um, <laughs> shout out to her, um, why she had chosen to keep doing that for as long as she did before, um, before moving into full service work. But again, like she, like for that, for that situation, and you, you all will have to listen to that episode. It's a really popular episode. Um, she, she just chose to do it because like of the person who introduced her to that. So like in that kind of case, she's being pimped out. Yeah. And familiar and just being pimped out. And she's like, well, what else am I going to do to get this kind of money at this age and stuff? So, which is, yeah, like it's, it's a wild story. It was, it was amazing. Oh my God. Such a good episode. Go listen to that. Everyone, um, going back to, to you, we were talking about human trafficking courts. Oh yeah. I forgot to ask earlier. This other listener was asking like, if, and if you happen to know, but what do the courts require in order for you to get charges dropped? <laughs> I don't know. I'm actually going through it right now, so I don't yeah. know exactly what I have to do yet. I can get back to you on that. Yeah. But it was um, when I went to International Institute of Buffalo, which is, you know, I, my caseworker Marissa, she went through the whole like a whole list. They have a whole list for their, you know, like I hate when they say they're girls, but that's mm-hmm. what they call us. Yeah. And it's like, oh well, you know, did you go to neighborhood legal services and take off any prostitution related or trafficking related charges? Like, had I gotten arrested with, like with possession or you know something else they would remove that too i guess it's just anything that falls under the trafficking court i don't know how they decide it's a good question i'm gonna have to ask them I'm yeah gonna, uh, that's a really good question <laughs> yeah i wonder if um what were we saying too because you mentioned earlier when you were, you were telling your story too like you had you you had a number of mandatory things that you need to do um with the the court liaison like you had you had mentioned a couple of mandatory things for you to get out. Yeah, so yeah, do you want to speak about that? They like to lay, lay eyes on you every day. They like to see you. Yes. And then you have to check in at 8 o'clock and send your location from a smartphone. Mm. You know, like they just want to make sure that you're okay. They want, and they don't, they can't unless they see you, they talk to you, which yeah. I understand that. Like even recently, the court, one of the court um, people reached out to me and said, hey, can you find this girl? I haven't heard from her since February. And she's like, I don't want... I don't want you to tell me where she is. I don't want to know anything about her. Yeah. I just want to know if she's alive. Yeah. You know, and I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I just want, you know, I'm reaching out to you on behalf of da da da. I'm not going to tell her anything you don't want me to. Can I tell her you're okay and that I spoke to you? Or is there anything you want me to do? You know, like, mm-hmm. I understand why they feel that they need to lay eyes on certain people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can see, like, a people without cars, how do you get to court every single day? Yeah. Every time and make sure you're home in a certain time. Like I think it yeah. shouldn't be as rigid across the board for everybody because everybody's not in the same situation. Totally. It, I never thought about that. It's relatively new here. I think it's only like four or five years old though, so it seems like they're trying to change and they're like, We need and they're starting to work with us. They're like, We need to hear your side of the story. We want to hear because your input is so paramount to everything that happens. We don't know. So you tell like you know they want me, and I'm weird about this too, but they want me to talk with Homeland Security anonymously, mm. and I said I would think mm. about it. Good agent to work with the police. That's a little scary, but, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was sketch. like, somebody reached out to me from Homeland Security, and they want to hear some stories, and that you came to mind, and I want to know if you thought about it. And I'm still thinking about it because I'm half of me is like somebody's got to do it, and the other half is like these are cops. But yeah, yeah, no, so I was thinking too. Was like, like twist our narrative no matter what. Yeah, I was like, red but flag, I, but I mean, the choice is up to you, so it's, it's cool that they thought about you, but like, also like, terrifying at the same time. 
Yeah, and you know, she was one where, of course, me, I, I always go ahead first. I don't even think about it. I'm like, sure, go ahead, tell them, tell my name, tell them, call me. And she's like, I think you should do this anonymously. Yeah, like, okay. yeah, I think you know? so too. And I was like, you're right. And another lady I was talking to yesterday who works at the International Institute, she's like, okay, well, if you're going to train them, you're going to get $83 like everybody else does an hour. And I was like, hey, I like the way you think. But, you know, I was like, I don't think I'm really training them. She's like, no. she's like, if you're going to put yourself out there, you should be compensated for yeah, it. Yeah, you absolutely should like, be compensated for it. Doesn't make sense, but. I mean, I'm still on the fence about it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it just just because, you know, they never listen to us. It doesn't matter. They're not going to. I don't I don't think my story, even if it does, they, it, I don't think it's going to affect them to change their, their, like the policing ways, you know, how deep and dark mm. that goes, you know. Yeah, that's another dark thing. But the more, like, the more people that do talk about it, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I want to start closing out here, but there's a few more questions that I, I would love to chat with you about too before I let you go. But um, another question from the audience from Twitter asked, how do we educate people that consensual sex work and sex trafficking are not the same thing? We are largely treated the same way in terms of criminalization. <clears throat> I can answer that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. Like... And that goes back to, again, I just said the misogyny. And a lot of it, even in the misogyny, it's like internalized misogyny. It mostly comes from other women. Yeah, like, it does. I, I can't get it. I cannot explain. I cannot explain it. Any, like, when I would get anybody looking at me in some sort of way for being a sex worker, not, not even knowing that I was trafficked since I just started talking about it, it was always other women. And... Mm. I don't even know how we would begin to unwind that, untwist that. You know, I mean, how many years ago was it that we were just marrying whoever we were told and sit down, (laughs) shut up, and make dinner? You know, so I mean, I think we're kind of going in the right direction as long as we start talking Talking about about it it. amongst ourselves. But like I said earlier, I don't think it's going to be a big change in our lifetime, unfortunately. Yeah, I like. I mean, this is why I have this podcast. Like talking amongst ourselves is great, but I think it's we need to start educating the masses and, and educating like civ people. Um, I think that's really important and to normalize this kind of conversation, to normalize this kind of work. And that's where I feel like this show is helpful in many ways. At least yeah. I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but like, yes, like I think this, this well, is helpful. I think it's amazing. I was looking yesterday when I was, I was looking at all of your titles and I was like, Oh my God, this, I can't, I'm going to be blessing you for years. <laughs> It's like exactly what I figured out what I want to do. I was like, I wanted, I was supposed to, I was talking about starting a podcast with my girlfriend that just passed a couple weeks ago. Mm. Cause I was like, I talk about this to so many people. I said, I never told my story. Why don't I tell my story to the world? Finally, I'm always yes. been loud like that. You know, <laughs> so I, I'll do it that way. And if it helps anybody along the way, that's amazing. That's all, you know, that's all I want. Yeah. So I think it's so, it's so cool how you got into that. It's so big and so awesome. Thank I'm surprised you. I didn't care about you before we started talking yeah. How long have you been doing this? I have been doing this for about just over two years and a bit, like a couple months. But yeah, like it just started off as like a random thing that was like, oh, like a client at the club. Like I, I work in a strip club and they were just saying like, oh, this is like, you know, strippers are really cool. And like for me, like they have their, their own lives. They have all these like different stories. And I'm like, yeah, we do have all these stories. And then I, I. You because- well, like what I thought like was really important it was like well because I've done so many different types of sex work I was like well like sex work in general is is really fascinating and often misunderstood so I just felt like it was my duty to <laughs> tell people right. on like what it actually is and for like on how it usually is so 
that's a little bit about how I got started. But yeah, there are bonus episodes on that. You guys can listen to that. I don't want to detract (laughs) anything away from you. But um, I wanted to also ask you just a couple more questions or a couple more, you know, statements that we can end on. But um, kind of looping into what we were just saying, like you just never know who is listening and what kind of situations that people may be in. And another question was, I guess the last question was, do you have any advice for someone who is currently being trafficked? No, I mean, but that's like hard again to say because yeah. again, it could be a very unsafe situation to get to try to leave. Yeah, you totally. Know, try to get your footing to try to tell anybody you have no, I mean, it could just, it could blow it's up. A, a is death. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's such a very, very delicate situation for each person. Absolutely. It's so hard to say across the cross of any baseline, like this is what you should do. Like I was always thinking, you know, I think it, like airports, they have lookout for trafficking. I would love to sit in mm. on one of those and see yeah. what they teach people. Because I can't even admit, like, I can imagine, like, the stereotypical things we talked about in the beginning, like, watch out for the, you know, quiet person that's not allowed to talk or whatever. But I really am interested in, like, what they teach flight attendants, what they teach people to look out for. Because even I, being alongside the business or in the business for 20 years, I wouldn't even know what to look for. No. And, like, I work for, like, I have a fun job and I work at a hotel, like, part-time. And, Mm -hmm. like, they have, like, quote-unquote training for that, too, especially, like, during, like, Super Bowl because they're like, yeah. oh, like oh, a yeah. lot of girls get trafficked during Super Bowl on, on flights and like get checked into hotels. So you have to look out for, well, and then I'm not sure if this is even effective, but like they were like um, signs that I mentioned earlier, like, oh, if they're really quiet, if they're usually accompanied by an older man or like another gentleman that is the only one speaking for them and stuff like that, or if they have like little to no belongings and stuff. So like it just seemed like really vague and I'm just curious to hear like, is this actually really effective in, you know, like showing some like signs? Like, I don't know. It's, I'm also curious about that. Out of hotels and she could tell me like something weird happens. She's like, I leave all my belongings and go to a whole new place. So that's a good one that you say about like for people with little to no belongings. She's like, I could live out of a suitcase, you know, stuff is replaceable. You are not. I leave. I'll leave all my shit there. I don't care. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's a good way to think about that. And then with me, with losing all of my worldly belongings I created, like collected for 30 some odd years, mm-hmm. I realized how little we can really live with and how much we do have on a regular basis. It's right. probably 90% of it. Totally. So that is, that is a good one that I didn't think about. Yeah. I mean, just little things like that. Like, I'm just, I'm curious to see like what they also look at at the airport and stuff like that. But anyways, um, <laughs> all good here i i know that you mentioned and you've said this before like sex work saved your life and i know like we were chatting off the air earlier like you only really realized that you were trafficked just up until like a couple years ago so yeah like do you want to speak a little bit about that in terms of like closing notes well i mean it was like a known thing with me but it was kind of like we joked about it but i never really like sat down and you know I, I took talking to other family members to find out that, the, you know, one of my other, my family members did benefit monetarily off of me. Yeah. And then I was thinking about it, and, you know, I was brought there by my cousin, who was brought there by her sister, my other cousin, but, like, she was also trafficked. Yes. So who do you start to blame? 
Yeah. You know, where, where do, where does it lie? Especially when like, you know, my family was, you know, we were all such a poor family. We had like everybody, everybody has family issues. So like, it's so ingrained in the family. You don't know, you know, I think that's probably why I was so quick to say, Oh yeah, I don't care. I'll go work there too. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. Whatever. But you know, I, I mean, I did start talking about it and I talk about it a lot now. I didn't even realize it. So I was like, wait a minute. I think I was, I remember it was like one day I was just making my bed, something really stupid. And I, just, <laughs> I was like, no, and I was like, wait a minute. And I remember I called the court and I was like, Alicia, did you realize that I was trafficked? She's like, yeah. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? She's like, well, I wanted you to realize it on your own. Cause I know you don't listen to me when I tell you. Things. <laughs> oh. but I'm glad that you said that, but you know, like, I wonder how many, how often it happens. And yes. it's not even Adjust. accounted for or realized or, yeah. you know, it's largely unaccounted for. I'm sure. Largely. And, you know, I, you know, I consider myself fortunate enough that I was able to do it. I'm going you know, go back into it. And I still love sex work. I still love a lot of my sex worker friends. I love my clientele. I love, you know, the business itself. I love people. I love people's stories. I, I took something good out of it. And I'm one of the few, I think, you know, that would go back into it. But mm. you never know. You never know. It, there's so, like, I was surprised by how many people I met after I became face out there, they were like, Oh, I've done that. Or I've done this. Or how many yeah. of us have done some sort of sex work on a, like a sliding scale? You know, mm-hmm. nobody really realized at some point, you know, and I always, we always joke and say that, you know, marriage is the worst, the most expensive sex worker anyway. But you know, <laughs> in, in some sense, like you could kind of look, and I don't want to say that about everybody, but you know, something's been done you know everybody's not such as a pristine angel i can't believe you do that why would you ever do that why are you selling your body kind of thing when you're like oh well really you were doing it a couple years ago with this or that like it's again the stereotypes and the horrible you know outlook on everything and it just i think it just needs to be changed where we need to look out for each other we need to to be i don't even know how to explain it but i think you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah it's like you know, like the discourse and everything, this needs to happen. People yes. need to realize, you know, it's so common. It is so common. It's super common. That's why, yeah, you know, like, talk about it. Talk, about, talk it, about it. Preach. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it'll be, it still doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it go away, but maybe it'll help you. It'll help you heal. It'll help somebody else. Absolutely. That's all you can hope for. Totally. Like, thank you again for coming onto the show and sharing your story with us today, Brandy. I really do appreciate it. Um, it's again, it shows just how commonplace things it things are when it comes to trafficking. How normalized it can be, or like at least it can be a facade as well. And like, right. you were so brave for coming out with your with your story as well. So. Thank you so, so much. I, I really do appreciate the time that you've taken to come chat with me and and talk to the audience about your story with trafficking. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was awesome finally meeting you. Yes, absolutely. But like before I let you go, where can we find you if you want to be found? Well, I am um, everywhere under my name, Brandy Wood. I'm on Twitter under the, I think it's T-H-E-E, Brandy, yes. B-R-A-N-D-I Wood. And I have a backup for T-H-E, so it'll lead you to the right one. I don't remember which one to which. Awesome. Um, and I'm just there. I'm, I'm on hiatus right now. Yes. I just had um, surgery in August, so I'm kind of recovering because I'm not able to work, which sucks because I've never not been able to take care of myself. But yeah. So I'm always on the back and shit to people. 
Perfect. And do you have any, I know you mentioned some resources earlier in the show. Did you want to shout out any resources that I could plug into the show notes as well? I was trying to get like, like across, like at least the country, my country ones, but mm-hmm, I definitely. only know, you know, other than SWAP, which is in every state, as far as I know, okay. yeah, I'm sex worker outreach program. And then there's uh, sex work aid Vegas. Okay. Uh, her name is Summer. I want you should. I want. I'm gonna link her to you when we hang out because she is yeah. wonderful. Yes, send me um, the link. <laughs> they I can never say the name. It's like Lysistrata or something like that in England. They always help out. Okay. Um, but here in Buffalo, New York, there's past people against traffic humans. Buffalo. Okay. It's a smaller. They just started it in 2020, and they have like art therapy, and they have like donation closets, clothing closets, like doctors on site. They give you rides to your appointments, like anything you could possibly need, housing help, food help. Um, that's kind of also what the International Institute that I've been talking about does also. It's the International Institute of Buffalo is what it's called. Right. But they also deal with refugees where Path Buffalo is specifically traffic. Mm-hmm. I think International Institute kind of is like bigger then you know they have they have a lot more to deal with than past so that one I, like i've been giving that number out to anybody that i see here i'm like like if you need anything go here they will help you they're great but awesome. other than that like i don't know of so many as so i want to no this is great yeah we'll have all the links out in the show notes so feel free to check it out um and that's it for today thank you so much brandy for joining me on the show today it's uh new episodes every single sunday don't forget to like rate share review and subscribe and maybe give me five ratings on apple i would love you for it and thank you so much for listening and all your support out there um to whoever listens and subscribes to the show i really really truly appreciate it and we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week thanks brandy Thank you. You're listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellantarama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Davern. <laughs>